It's a new year. We all want to make new changes. In churches, we always say, Jesus can change your life. But what does that mean? How does Jesus really and practically change our lives? We've started a new sermon series at Bellwether in this new year called, How Can Jesus Change My Life? And we'll look at ways that he can in areas like suffering, forgiveness, purpose, and approval. We hope you'll be with us to worship, and if not, we hope you enjoy these podcasts to see truly how Jesus can change our life. Would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray people here would know that you can make us beautiful. And we try uh, with our, our words and our efforts uh, to constantly make ourselves look good and look beautiful. And deep down, uh, we know, uh, we know either what we did or what we said or simply who we are. Yet the good news is Jesus and that he has washed us clean. In him we are forgiven, in him we are accepted, in him we are beautiful, and you see us as beautiful. You see us as totally and completely yours, your children, beautiful. My prayer for for myself, uh, for my children, uh, for your children here at this church, is that we would come to realize that more and more, and it would impact practically the way we live uh, and react and respond uh, to one another and to bosses, uh, to peers, uh, to family, to spouses, that we would forgive because we're forgiven. And it's all because of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would, take a Bible or open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter Four, and I'm going to be reading from verse 22 through 32 this morning. But before we do, a quick recap. Uh, we've been doing a series beginning of the year on how does Jesus change uh, my life or your life individually. And we have dealt uh, with things like approval, and then last week we hit on suffering Uh, And a little recap on that is that in Jesus, in our suffering, He leads us to see God in a greater way, that God's in control, but also that we worship a God who suffered, uh, probably worse than we have ever suffered, our God who hung on the cross for us. Jesus in our suffering leads us to a church, the church, the family. We aren't to be alone, and you don't have to be alone that we're here for one another, and then He leads us to witness in our suffering. There's really no greater witness than a man or a woman who are suffering and said, yeah, I was here and now I'm here because of what God has done to me, in me, through me, in this trial or in this challenge. And a real quick story, my wife and I were talking uh, last week about, I didn't use this in the sermon, but it was the early church, so the church, and 
Some of you may just have checked out. No, it's, it's good stuff. I love history. The first church, the couple hundred years after Jesus rose again, uh, the church grew like wildfire. It's never grown that fast before or since. And one of the reasons it did, one of the main reasons, is that Christians and local churches were in these cities all over the Roman Empire, which is Europe and the Middle East, and plagues would hit a city and just decimate the city, and most of the general population would flee, I mean, would leave, would go out in the country. And the Christians and the churches stayed in the city to minister and heal and many times catch the illness and die. And people were just blown away. Like, you you stayed. Your church stayed. Even at the risk of of your life. Of course, they'd be like, yes. And they'd minister and they'd pray for and they'd comfort and they would get infected and then they might die and some would live and the church spread. And so... Tying that to suffering is, how do you do that? I'm not saying, you know, go do that, but God may call you somewhere like that, in a place of suffering where you are at risk. How do you do that? You do that when your hope, you can do that when your hope is not in this world, not like this life here. And when your hope is not in the here and now of this life, you can be used in mighty, gigantic, powerful ways. But a lot of us fall into, myself and our hope is the here and now, and you know, our, our, our kids, our family, our status, our wealth, our power, that's our hope. And the Bible is very clear in that it teaches that that hope will always fade at some point. But we have a hope that's so much greater than the here and now, and that can, that can take us through any suffering. It is eternity, and it can begin in the here and now, but it is glory, it is heaven. So, that is a bit on uh, last week, and this week ties to last week in that it is about forgiveness, and it ties to last week in that so much of suffering can come from unforgiveness. Maybe someone has hurt us, or we're offended with someone, and we don't forgive them, so we hold unforgiveness. Or maybe we've done something so terrible and so bad that we can't forgive ourselves, so our unforgiveness is, is on us. And it leads us to suffering. So how does Jesus change our life, your life, by forgiveness? I mean, I would say he's, we're forgiven. How does He change it today? Well, let's look at what Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 4, and again, I'm going to read verse 22 through... 32. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're going to go through that passage, but uh, first off, very often it is said, forgive and forget. And that's the advice many of us get, forgive and forget. And sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we can forgive, but we can't forget. I would say to you today that if you live by the forgive and forget mantra, you will, we will ultimately fail. It does not work. Uh, Often we never forget, and often when we try that, we really never truly forgive. Because when we remember and we hold on, there's not true forgiveness in our hearts. And I would urge you, I would urge us, myself too, to instead use the saying, forgive and forgiven. Uh, As in, forgive others because we are forgiven. And I'm going to get to that more uh, later in the sermon. But instead of forgive and forget, forgive and forgiven. That we're forgiven and we can forgive. I'm literally going to kind of go through this passage today. And to start off, it says, Paul is writing to us, that we have a new self. So if you're a Christian here, if you have had that moment, or if you think you've had that moment, then literally there has been an old self, and now there's a new self. Uh, Christianity is very similar to a lot of stuff we hear uh, in our society, like self-help stuff. Like, you know, you can do it. You know, if you just believe in yourself and maybe love yourself enough or, or try hard enough, you know, you can do it. You can have a great life, you know, live for today, all of that stuff that we hear. And honestly, sometimes, I mean, we can preach, and look, I can preach in this manner too. It's just like a positive message and throw Philippians 4.13, one of my favorite verses, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's like, you know, yes, we can. You know, yes, we can. And, and, and that's, that's great. You know, really self-help, motivating, all that. So Christianity is similar, and it sounds very self-help. Christianity is similar, and it gives good advice. I mean, don't lie, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, you know, don't have, you know, uh, don't steal. All, that, all those practical things like that. However, Christianity is very different in that if we try to will ourselves to that, what I mean by our, our will, by our effort. If we say, okay, I just, I'm just not going to cheat, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to cheat, or I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, or I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to steal, or I'm not going to curse, I'm not going to curse, or I'm just not going to get drunk, I'm just not going to get drunk, or you know, I'm just not going to look at that image. Not look at, if we just keep, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Hey, trust me, number one example, I know, okay? Let me just put that out there. But if we just rely on our own effort and willpower, at a point, we're going to fall. And that's where Christianity is very different from any self-help or motivational guru stuff that we may read or hear. You're like, okay, well, what's the difference? The difference is Christianity, instead of being from the outside in, and like what we do or will, Christianity is the inside out. Your heart has to change first. Your heart has to be melted by what Jesus has done. Your heart has to find the peace and contentment in how much God loves you. Your heart has to know that you are forgiven. You can stand before God, clean, pure, beautiful, as we've sang about. And then it affects the outside. It affects the eternal. 
And so often we, we get that upside down. We, we try the outside and the external, and our hearts remain the same. But when we know, when we believe, when we trust, when we receive, when we accept these words we use, what Jesus has done, that he's forgiven us on the cross, that his grace is given to us, then our affections change. What's an affection? Well, it's love. An affection is something you want to do. Yeah, it's something. You don't want to do some of those things that are harmful. You want to do different things. You want to grow in a group. You, you make an effort. You're like, you know, I, I really want to be with Christian brothers and sisters. And, and some of this other stuff that I've just used my willpower and failed, I want to, I want to do different things. I don't, even want to, I don't even want to do that anymore. Your affections change when you have this great affection for Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And it can also change in our unforgiveness. We can say, I've got to forgive this person. I've got to forgive this person. But forgive them, forgive them. But when your heart's melted that you're truly forgiven, then maybe, I believe you will, extend more grace and extend more forgiveness when you know you're forgiven. That's what Paul is saying. It's a new self. It's a new self. Now, he goes further because in this new self, you can actually get this, be angry. Verse 26, he says, be angry. Essentially, he says, be angry. As in, like, it's, it's a legitimate, you know, real deal feeling. Often we say, no, we can't be angry. Can't. Paul says, this is Paul, you know, St. Paul, big guy in Christian faith. He says, be angry. Jesus was angry. Now, those of you who know your Bibles, you know, often, first thing we think of is, you know, him cleansing the temple, turning over tables, all that. He was also angry with his disciples. He would say over and over again, you know, oh, ye of little faith. You know, he'd just be like, man, good grief. Are these guys ever going to get it? So Jesus was angry. However, stay with me, he was never angry at, like, the person. He was always angry at the problem. Martin Luther King, we had uh, celebrated his day this past week, but he had a great quote. He said, Righteous anger is always directed towards the problem and not the person. Say it again. Righteous anger is always directed towards the problem and not the person. And you say, well, Jesus was angry, you know, at those people doing business, or Jesus was angry at his disciples. Jesus was angry at how people were abusing the temple and what was going on. I mean, to my knowledge, he didn't like string a, a dude up and like getting his, he might, I mean, I don't think he did, but scripture says he didn't. It says he turned over tables. He was angry at the problem of people abusing God's house. And Jesus never got personally angry at like a disciple. He was always angry at their lack of faith. He was angry at the problem that they had. You know, for me, you know, Logan, and it's usually Logan, you know, can just rail off on Jack and not stop and get mad. And I'm angry at his anger or him wanting to pick a fight or continue a fight. Or I get angry at Logan. He's going to try to climb the side of a door and then think it's funny to jump down on Ethan, you know, who just turned one. And I'm angry that he, he did that, that, you know, Logan, you know, but I'm not angry at him personally. Or I'm angry. Jack usually will, you know... He, He'll tell a fib, or, you know, they're all lies, but he'll tell a lie. You know, I'm angry that he says, you know, that 
his lie. He wants to lie, but I'm not angry at Jack. Then you're saying, no, you're, John, you're really angry at, your, at Jack or Logan. You're really... Now get this. We're God's children. God's angry at sin. God hates sin. And yet at the same time, Scripture's clear, God wants no one to perish. You get it? God gets angry at the sin, at our sin, but He loves us. He loves us. He wants none of us to perish. So we can be angry, but I want you to think about this, especially when it deals with forgiveness or unforgiveness. Let's be angry at the problem. And let's look at the person as someone who has the image of God. I, you know, I think we've lost that concept. I mean, as a society, it's actually called a magio Dei. I'm not trying to be, it's like, a, I don't know if it's Latin. or, But it's like every person has the image of God in them. We've lost that. And if we could really take a step back, it's like, what's the problem? Take the person that they're an image bearer of God, we might find it easier to forgive. Paul goes on. He says, be angry. But then he says, do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So how? How do you do that? How do you be angry and yet not sin? You know, one thing I find that's helpful, like we'll have staff meetings and stuff, and um, patience is not my strong suit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is not my strong suit. How do you be angry and not sin? I'll just say, you know, uh, do, you, uh, do y'all see steam coming out of my ears? Uh, you know, y'all obviously never saw that cartoon. Steam coming out of the person's ears. And uh, usually, uh, usually they don't say anything. You'll probably see it anyway. Uh, because, y'all really didn't see that cartoon. Okay, that just didn't go over at all. I was like, everybody, you know, steam out of ears, you know. Um, anyway, so, but how do you be angry and not sin? Well, you, first off, don't react. But I do think there are specific types of sinful anger. Like it's, you can be angry at a problem, but then there's, there's like real deal sinful anger. And the first that probably the majority of us think of is the blow up. It's called blow up. Someone reacts, someone reacts vociferously, passionately, but it's a negative passion, and they blow up. And they're, you know, either in your face or they are, you know, on the phone. I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind or give her a piece of my mind. Or now on Facebook, good grief, you know, it's just like blow up. Uh, some of y'all may have had experience, unfortunately, with that. But there is this external explosion. And actually, you can blow up, I've seen this, and like not even have to speak. You can blow up and pause. Some of y'all may have had this happen to you. You know, you just you know, say hello and someone's saying, just, it's just like eyes of knife. And it's like that, you know, clenched jaws. The knives darting at you. No, I've had that, okay? Um, nobody in here, you know. They're gone. Just, just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, just kidding. Halfway. Anyway, so, but you know, you can blow up. You can blow up. But the other sinful anger, I'd call store up. Store up. So blow up, then there's store up. And store up, think about it. It is like, all right, I'm not going to blow up. I'm going back to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But it's like we, we file it away. You know? we, we store up those hurts, those jabs, those comments. And we don't give our anger to the Lord. We hold on to unforgiveness. And we store it up. We file it away. And often a blow-up can come later. Or often we may plan a strategic 
blow up that might not look like a blow up that we can really harm that person. You know what I'm saying? And we'll just store it up. We'll remember. Store it up. Store it up like we store deer meat in a freezer. Some of us, you know. Some of us. That didn't go over that well either. But anyway, I store, I'm storing up deer meat. So blow up, store up. And Scripture is clear right here. It says build up. You see that? Verse 29. No corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good as building up. Often we blow up. Often we store up. And Scripture says build up. Actually, Scripture says, it says a lot. It says give no opportunity to the devil. Some translations... I use this, and I love this translation, but some say, don't give a foothold to the devil. A foothold. Now, uh, I'm not a mountain climber, rock climber. Uh, I took a class in rock climbing one time in college, and one thing the teacher said that I'll always remember is that it is amazing how much a foothold you can get with just for your little toe, your big toe, being on part of a rock. Just if your big toe has a hole, like, it, it's amazing how much weight that can carry, and that climbers often look at that place for their big toe, and then they can just keep, not just keep climbing, but keep getting their foot in. And I, I thought about that, I was reading this passage, I, I thought about foothold, and it doesn't take much for the devil to get his foothold. It doesn't take much at all. It doesn't take this big explosion, blow up, embarrass yourself or whatever. It doesn't take much for him to have that, that toehold. And we grieve the Holy Spirit and the devil's got an end. The devil's got his toe in the door. And then, I, I do believe that the blowing up and the storing up uh, leads to, Paul writes about here in verse 31, bitterness. Bitterness. It's like the devil's got his foot, or his first his toe, and he wiggles his foot in, and then he gets that door open. And he says, ah, I'm going to come in here and rest. And I'm going to settle in. I'm going to make a home. And that's what really bitterness is. It, it is it's settling in, unforgiveness, settling in, storing up, settling in, making a home, feeling comfortable and cozy, that I'm here, I'm putting down roots, and it grows, and it just totally hinders us in forgiving somebody who needs to be forgiven. Totally hinders us in forgiving ourselves. We're bitter at past mistakes, failures, and bitterness takes root. Now, bitterness, let me say this bitterness is different than anger. I think anger is, you know, you can direct it at the problem. You can be angry and not sin. But bitterness, you like want the person to die. Or actually, you might not want the person, you just want the person to be embarrassed and fail and be like, you know, just. Be done with. And you rejoice. I say you. We. Okay. We rejoice when that person doesn't do well. We rejoice when maybe a business dealing for that person collapses. If they've hurt us, these are people who've offended you, hurt you, spat on you, all that. We rejoice even maybe if the marriage collapses. I've, I've seen that. You know, we rejoice. That's bitterness does. And you know the reason we do that. Honestly. Because we really think we're better than that person. We're bitter because we're better. I mean, how many had a person in mind as I was talking about that? 
I got one on us. Thank you, Brother Joe. You didn't have to raise your hands, but one person raised their hand. But I know we're all thinking about somebody. And we're bitter because, I mean, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I really think I'm better than that person. And I'm not in God's eyes. And we'll even say, God, you know, and I talked about this last week, God, I can, um, I'm, and I'll have a cup of coffee with them in heaven, but until then, I want them to collapse, fail, just, you know, you know just total destruction, annihilate. I'm good, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it in heaven, but till then, man, can you, uh, you know, show them a lesson? We're not pray that, but we feel that if we're honest, or I'm honest. Maybe y'all are different, y'all are probably holier than me, but that can happen, and bitterness, it just, it, it destroys us. It destroys us. It destroys our capacity to forgive, it destroys our capacity to love, it destroys our capacity to be uh, the people God wants us to be. So, finally, forgiven. Last thing, it's the last verse. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, if you just go down this passage, it's a new self. A new self that can be angry, but yet not sin. And an easy trap is for bitterness to settle in. And I believe the cure for that, I believe the cure for that is to first not just try and try and try to forgive, but see and see and see how forgiven we are. There, uh, I, I would guess there are two types of people in here today. One type, and this is real true, it's kind of like elder brother, younger brother, prodigal son, love that parable. Elder brother, I really don't need to be forgiven. Hey, hey, look, we'll throw the good Sunday school answer down. Hey, I am forgiven or need to be forgiven. But deep down, and I I really want us to get deep in our hearts, we we don't need forgiveness. We've done good. We're making good money. We're having a good career. We're a good family man. You know, really, we don't need God's forgiveness. And then the other person is we really can't be forgiven. Uh, The mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed, we, we really can't be forgiven. And those are, are both false. We all need forgiveness. We all can be forgiveness. And it happens in Jesus. And I, I would argue for all of us, so me too, um, let me say this the right way, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. Point blank. Do you hear me there? If, if we're really struggling to forgive, if we're unforgiving in nature, are we really forgiven? Translation, are you really saved? Right. Easy to think of. Well, hey, I, I did that. I, I came down the aisle. I, I did that thing. Yeah, but here's what I mean. We talk about receiving Jesus. We talk about accepting Jesus. What does that mean? It means we're forgiven in Jesus. No effort on our part. Jesus is on the cross. He forgave you. He forgave me. He forgave us. And the point is, in save, salvation, all that, the point is to receive it, to accept it. That our efforts and our, I've got to forgive them, I've got to forgive myself, I've got to forgive them. I can't lie, I can't cheat, can't, you know. You're forgiven. Jesus has done it. That's what we mean, receive Jesus. That's what we mean, accept Jesus. So, again, an unforgiving heart might be an unforgiven heart. And we want you to know right now, right here, 
today. Receive his forgiveness. Be melted by what he's done. Accept his forgiveness. And be able to forgive. I'm going to close actually with a parable of Jesus. So not John Hughes' words, Jesus' words. Uh, You don't have to turn to it. It's in Matthew 18. But I want to read this parable to you. The words of Jesus, and it's about forgiveness. It's great. A lot of you are turning. It's, it's fine. I'd love for you to. Matthew 18. It's not going to be up on the screen, but it's a parable on forgiveness. And listen to what Jesus says to us. He says, The kingdom of heaven, this is verse 23, Matthew 18, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus' words are crystal clear. You. I mean, this whole sermon series is about how does Jesus change my life, so your life. The old self to the new self. The new self knows I'm forgiven. The only eyes that matter, that of our heavenly Father, have accepted me. Think I'm beautiful. I don't have to prove myself. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I don't have to strive for approval. He's going to be with me in suffering. I can live in peace. We want you to live in peace. It's not by our efforts. It's in Jesus. We can be angry at things that are problems and troubles and have righteous anger and want to fix them or cure them or heal them. And sometimes we need to. The sin in the world, the injustice in the world, and still not sin and look at other people in the image of God as children of God. And bitterness can be evaporated by the blood of Christ and His love and His mercy and His grace and knowing that we are forgiven. And then we have the power to forgive and forgive with peace and live with peace. That's what we want. That's what Jesus gives Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, I, I pray we would come to you uh, broken, uh, in need of your forgiveness, and, and ask for it. Uh, as the servant in the parable fell on his knees and begged for it, but know that you, just, you freely give and you cover our blemishes and that we can stand before you 
forgiven um, and expectant of the life that you offer now, but most of for eternity. And we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody else, but we can walk in love and humility and peace and strength with a serene confidence that we are forgiven and we can forgive and we can have peace. I pray that for my life. I really pray that for my life. I pray that for the lives of the people in this church. I pray it for Bellwether Church, that we would know we're forgiven and we forgive. I pray it for our city. There's so many uh, what looks like intractable problems with our, with our government and in this community, that people would see your words and be able to forgive. Thank you for this time. As we come to take communion together, may we know we're forgiven. In your name, amen.